All right, y'all, you're locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are reviewing the all-22 film from the Falcons' week four win over the Cleveland Browns. We'll be talking all about how and why the running game worked. We'll be talking about Marcus Mariota's struggles and be answering your listener questions, including where was Kyle Pitts in all of this success on Sunday? What are my thoughts on the rookie class and the linebackers? We'll get into all of that and more on today's Locked on Falcons. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, a.k.a. Sirius Black, a.k.a. Mr. Drew. And, of course, we thank you guys for checking out Locked On Falcons as your first listen. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster, and you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL. And guys, of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available Monday through Friday on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. Hit that bell. Give us a like, and you will get the video version of the podcast the night before the audio drops. And so we are on hump day, as most of you guys are listening to the audio version of this Tuesday evening. If you're checking us out on YouTube, and we do what we do all every single week, which is we break down the All-22 film from the previous week. And... Uh, uh, today, uh, you know, not any as in-depth as uh, previous weeks. Uh, there's some specific aspect that I really wanted to dive deep into. Today, we'll start off talking about the run game. Then we'll move to Mariota, and then we'll answer your listener questions. But obviously, talking about how and why the run game worked and looking specifically at that 14-play stretch uh, at the end of the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter where the Falcons had a 100% success rate on all 14 runs, ran for 145 yards combined on those 14 plays. You know, I look at that stretch of plays and I didn't see anything profound, anything, oh, the scheme and the Falcons did this and, the, and they countered with this. No, it was just basically, as I've often said, when it comes to why and how the run game works or doesn't work, it's, it's about execution. Right. You got your blockers getting a hat on a hat. You find the running backs hitting daylight, all that stuff and more, you know, and the offense is executing. You can run the football when the defense isn't executing. Uh, you know, they struggle to stop the run. Uh, and to me, that stretch of plays was exactly how Arthur Smith in this outside outside zone based run scheme sort of is supposed to look how you draw it up. You got guys flying out there on those second level blocks and creating those creases and cutback lanes. And you have the running backs putting their foot in the dirt and making that cut and finding daylight. And all five guys up front did their jobs. And I think particularly during that stretch of plays, you know, I think that was really the key for them. In addition to additional blockers like Keith Smith and Parker Hesse, I think really did an outstanding job hitting their blocks. You had really good downfield blocks from Kyle Pitts and Drake London and Kadero Ha and others. Uh, all, basically, again, it was execution. Everybody was doing their 
job. And you look at Chris Lindstrom and his, you know, really high PFF grade that we talked about on yesterday's episode and earning like what a 97 run blocking grade. And probably the bulk of uh, that high grade came on that 10 play stretch. And I'll probably wind up putting a highlight clip of some of his better blocks in uh, this Browns game. And, and certainly a handful, the majority of those blocks will probably come from that 10 to 14 play stretch of plays. But if you want to get like further into the, the film, I think DJ Shockley over at AtlantaFalcons.com always does a great job breaking down the film every Tuesday on YouTube and over at the official site. And that video is like seven minutes and like four plays breaking down, you know, all the execution stuff. So if you just want to see that stuff in action and, and really do uh, hear uh, and see a good job of breaking that, I'll link to that video in probably the description below, but go check out DJ Shockley's video to break that down. But of course, you know, a lot of people are going to look at that and say, yeah, you know, they did it against the Browns. And we know that the Browns weren't necessarily before uh, this week, a, a great run defense. And certainly with a depleted front with some of their starters like Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett and Taven Bryan out, you know, they were even more depleted and more lackluster up front. So, you know, Hey, the Falcons did it against the Browns, but what's the big deal? Can they do it in uh, against future opponents? And that's going to be the big question, right? You, you dominate the Browns. That's great and wonderful. But how are you going to fare against the Bucks, the 49ers, the Bengals, teams that we've been talking about quite a bit over the past week about how the Falcons fare against them? And we're going to really learn about how good this team is. It's one, again, it's one thing to do it against a bottom 10 defense or bottom five defense like the Browns. But can you do it against a top five or top 10 defense like the 49ers? like the Bucks, et cetera. And I saw someone on Twitter and I responded to a tweet by Kevin Knight over at the Falcoholic. And I can't remember exactly what Kevin said, but basically I, I echoed these sentiments. Like we're going to find out about this football team uh, against these quality defenses over the next three games. And, you know, someone responded to that and was like, well, not with Mariota at the quarterback position. And I'm like, yeah, I think they can find out quite a bit about what this offense is capable and particularly this running game. Cause that's the foundation of this football team. And frankly, the quarterback doesn't have that much to do with the, the running game again now if the Falcons get back to doing more of that rollout stuff that they were doing in week one where Mariota had a significant impact on the rushing success then you sure the quarterback can have an impact on that uh, but we haven't really seen that as much the last couple of weeks and so to me the question for me is you know you got 200 against the Saints you got 200 uh, against the Browns and um, you know 100 plus against some of the other team. Can you get 100 plus against the Bucs, who are 17th in DVOA in, in terms of run defense, right? Can you do it against the 49ers, who are first in run defensive DVOA, and the Bengals, seventh currently in run defensive DVOA? And we'll see if, if the Falcons can uh, pull that off. And, you know, that's what's going to be interesting about these next couple upcoming games is like these teams are going to know what's coming, right? They know the Falcons are going to want to run the football. Right. And they're going to key on it and they're going to try to stop the run and they're going to try to put this game in Marcus Mariota's hands to go out there and throw the ball in order to win the game. They want the Falcons uh, from that perspective to play left handed, so to speak. You know, the old Belichick, he's going to take away your biggest strength and force you to play left handed. And the question put forward for the Falcons, for me at least, and I'm sure for many of you, is are the Falcons good enough up front? 
as they seem to be against the Browns to basically still be able to play right-handed against some of these better defenses. Again, you can play right-handed all you want against some of these bad defenses, but can you do it against the good teams? And that's what we're going to find out. And that's ultimately what this rebuild is about. I know, again, we're, we're riding high on the last two wins and the two game winning streak. And Hey, this team is going places and this team is surprising folks. And maybe this team's a playoff team and all that stuff and more, but I haven't forgotten that. Hey, we're in a rebuild and emphasis on the build part. Like, how much of this unit has been built? How much of this foundation has been laid? And the thing I will sit here and tell you guys, hey, I feel like this foundation is a lot more stable. And I'm looking mainly at you guys in the trenches and the offensive line in particular in this conversation. That foundation seems a lot more stable today based off of these first four games than what we saw or what I believed we would see, you know, a month or two ago. And so that's a positive sign, but we're still building towards that. Again, it's about, you know, checking these boxes and we're going to really get tested and that stability, that foundation is going to get tested over these next couple of games. And, you know, going back to the checking boxes, like how many of these five offensive linemen uh, are going to be part of an offensive line that can get a hundred, 120, 130 yards against the Bucks, against the Bengals, against the 49ers. Should we be finding ourselves facing those teams at some point in the month of January or even February at some point in the not too distant or distant future? How many of these offensive linemen are going to be around that can provide that? And we're going to find that out uh, over the next couple of games. So if the Falcons check those boxes, if we're checking three, four, five of those boxes in terms of you know, valuable offensive linemen, that can allow us to play right-handed against these quality defenses. We are, you know, things are really, really looking up uh, for this team. That foundation is a lot more stable than, you know, haters like myself, AKA Mr. Drew, you know, that negative Nancy uh, was willing to give credit for this team during the course of the summer. So I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm the Bart Scott gif of, I can't wait uh, to see what happens over these next couple of games. I'm excited to see what happens. And, you know, can't also wait to see what happens over the next three games uh, that could wind up defining uh, this team season in a lot of ways. And part of that is going to be uh, particularly how Marcus Mariota fares. And we'll get into that conversation as we continue uh, today's episode, guys. But as the Falcons are looking to check those boxes to see which of these offensive linemen are going to help them win this fall, you may be looking to find the right people that can help your small business fire on all cylinders this fall as well. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier for you to find the right people that you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes at LinkedIn.com and reach the world's largest professional market of over 800 million people. That's almost as many yards as the Falcons had in the fourth quarter against the Browns. LinkedIn jobs is going to help you spread the word that you're hiring, give you those simple tools like screening questions to make it easy for you to focus on the candidates that have the right experience and the right skills so that you can prioritize who you want to hire, who you want to interview. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs. Number one in delivering those quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs is going to help you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. All you got to do is post your job linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. So guys, I want to thank you again for making locked on Falcons your first listen each and every day. And I'm very excited uh, to see 
what happens for the rest of the season. And you guys should be excited to make Locked On NFL your f- second listen. <laughs> you know, Locked On Falcons is your first listen. Uh, but Locked On NFL is your second listen each and every day, and especially on Friday where you can get the NFL key predictions where the local experts are breaking down the five biggest games each and every weekend, including uh, the Sunday and Monday night games. So check them out by subscribing to Locked On NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. So as I said, at the top of the episode, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of profound things, new developments that I saw in this Browns game that we haven't discussed kind of at points before in the first three weeks. Again, we'll, we'll sort of see what new developments happen, but let's talk a little bit about the quarterback situation that has been quite uh, created quite a bit of controversy and, and conversation online uh, since Sunday, given the concerns about uh, Marcus Mariota's performance and, you know, going back and watching the film, you know, I didn't think Mariota played particularly well. Right. So big surprise there. Oh, oh, Aaron, you know, you're really, you're really dropping knowledge, man. You know, the guy that went seven for 19 didn't play well. <gasps> Gasp. Right. So really when it comes down to Marcus Mariota and, and to me, this Browns game showed some of the issues I have with Mario. There's, there's two big beefs that I have with Mariota that I've discussed. One of them I've discussed quite a bit over the last uh, couple of, of weeks, uh, which is, the lack of precision, the lack of poise and accuracy and pocket management and decision-making um, when it comes to him being a pocket passer. But that's not really Marcus Mariota's game. Really where that issue becomes comes to the forefront to me is in the red zone. That's when you need your guy to make the throws, right? Because now you're taking points off the board. You're settling for three instead of getting seven, right? And that can be the difference, as we well know, can be the difference between winning and losing games. Um, and... You know, like I'm not expecting Mariota to be, you know, this precise poised pocket passer, you know, on a second and 12 at the 38 yard line. But when you get to the eight yard line, when it gets to the 12 yard line, like, yeah, I need you to make those throws. And that's that's to me going to continue to be an area that I'm going to be critical of uh, if it continues to manifest itself as it has a number of times so far this season. And the second issue I have with Mariota is to me more like that's, you know, again, the pocket precision stuff is not something that's a strength of his game, but the strength of his game really is, um, you know, basically what I've referred to as the Mariota coaster, right? Where you're going to get these highs, you're going to get these lows. And it's, it's the ability to sort of create off structure. And, you know, I put out one of these plays on Twitter, so I'll, I'll probably link to that uh, in the comments below. But I put out a play where Mariota was able to extend outside the pocket and f- make a play and throw the ball to Parker Hesse for a 22-yard gain, and that uh, led to the next play, Cordero Patterson's score. And th- those are the plays, those are the highs of the Mariota coaster. Those are the plays that you expect Marcus Mariota to play. Again, he's never been this precision passer. That's never been his game, right? His game is he's going to be more of that gunslinger type. I'm going to use my legs to extend plays outside the pocket and I'm going to find and locate open receivers down the field. He did that again later in this game with the Alameda Zacchaeus big play where he got outside the pocket and then floated up that ball to Zacchaeus for a big 40 plus yard gain. And there were a couple opportunities at other points in this game, whether it was throwing the pitch, whether it was throwing the London and other guys where he couldn't quite connect on those throws. And those are the plays I really wanted to see Marcus Mariota make, right? Like that's the strength of his game. Those are the plays that he needs to be making more consistently. And I think there have been times at points this season, not so much again, this Browns game, but earlier in the season, 
season where it felt like he was a little bit too quick to run rather than keeping his eyes downfield to make those throws. And then again, in this Browns game, he made two of those plays to Hesse and Zacchaeus, but then he missed some of those throws. And it's like, okay, like if you can make those plays, I can live with the dips, the valleys, the lows of the Mariota coaster as this thing goes up and down because the highs are there. And those are the plays that Mariota can make that other players, you know, that we could have starting in the lineup or other quarterbacks that we could have around the league or in previous years aren't necessarily making. So, but when you're not getting those peaks and all you're just getting is the valleys, the lack of precision, the lack of all these various things that we've discussed ad nauseum at this point in time, you know, you're, you're suffering a net loss. It doesn't balance in your favor in the way that you want. And so unlike my colleague, Mark Zeno here on lockdown sports Atlanta, I don't think the quarterback conversation or the quarterback controversy is dead. I do agree with him that nothing is imminent on that front, but I don't think it's dead. It's, it's put on the back burner, right? And that back burner is, is set to low, right? The stove is still on, but it's it's not going to, you know, it may not necessarily catch the house on fire and, and fire. And where this team is a month from now, I think will determine just how much more heat is turned up on the stove, so to speak. So in it, for example, if the Falcons were to, I don't know, go 0-3 over the next three weeks, I think that conversation about Mariota and his grip on the starting con- on the starting spot is going to be very different three weeks from now or a month from now than it is today. Again, that burner is going to be much hotter uh, in that, you know, that hot seat, so to speak. Um, and, you know, if they can manage to win some of the games over the next couple of weeks, right? That's going to be interesting, right? Because part of the reason why the Falcons might lose the next three games, and again, I'm not saying this to be negative. We're just, we're spitballing. We're being hypothetical here, right? You know, if they were to lose the next three games, part of the reason why you might think that would happen is because going back to what we just talked about is those teams, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Cincinnati, were successful at making the Falcons play left-handed. Either they were able to shut down the run game or the Falcons defense, you know, continued to look a little lackluster against some of those high-powered offense, or at least those offenses that at least have the potential to be high-powered. And it kind of forced the Falcons to play from behind. It forced the Falcons to have to abandon the run game a lot earlier than they wanted to. And then that puts the onus on a player like Mariota uh, to play that left-handed style of football, which is a pass first. And if he is incapable of showing that he can play, you know, and throw the ball and this team can move the ball and score points. If he's throwing the ball 35, 40 or more times a game, you know, I do think that could potentially prompt a, change at the quarterback position going back to the conversation about whether the quarterback controversy is dead. So I think the next three games are really going to help define not only his season and the rest of this team season, because uh, if the Falcons are successful at playing right-handed over the next couple of games, you know, uh, and and they're able to successfully dictate uh, how they want to play against some of these quality defenses, uh, then I think that's going to tell us that, you know, if they can do it for the next three games, then they probably should be able to do it for the vast majority of the remaining 10 games of the season. We'll see how that plays out, hopefully in the Falcons favor with multiple wins there. Um, but if they can't, then I do certainly think, you know, those final 10 or so games may prompt some changes and one of them could be at the quarterback position. So again, I'm excited to see what this team is capable of bringing to the table. If they can achieve that, if they can play right-handed, or do they wind up being forced to play left-handed over the next couple of games? Cause that's going to, to me, dictate what, how the rest 
of this season goes. And I'm also excited to answer some of your listener questions. We'll get into a conversation about Kyle Pitts, the linebacker play, the safety play, the fullbacks. We'll answer all of that and more as we continue uh, today's episode here. Guys, but before we get there, I want to tell you about the number one source for all your football betting needs this season. And that is, of course, betonline.net. You can find all the latest player developments, matchups, news, podcasts, in-depth articles, analysis of every game, including this weekend's game where the Falcons are facing the Bucs and eight and a half point underdogs in that game. And BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, whether it's live in-game betting or you just want those up-to-minute scores for every sport out there, whether it's the NFL, MLB, MLB, college football, MMA, boxing, golf, and so much more. Just head to the website right now at betonline.net. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. So guys, as I'm excited to answer your listener questions, I'm also excited to tell you about uh, the new Locked on Sports Atlanta app available if you have Roku and Amazon Fire TV. So if you're looking to see this pretty handsome face on your television screen, download the Locked on Sports Atlanta app today on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. So our question, first question comes from Budget Baller at I am Sharpie on Twitter. He says, going to go ahead and ask my question for the film review now. Where the heck is Pitts covered or on the sideline? And he asked this question in the third quarter of the Browns game. So as I said before, you got to get those questions in as early as possible. First come, first serve. Um, you know, Pitts wasn't targeted much in this game. He got targeted four times, but he only ran 12 routes. And that's a target rate of 25%, which if you've listened to the podcast the last couple of weeks, we talked about that's a good number for a high-level tight end. Kelsey and Waller and all those guys are, are being targeted about 20 25%. Uh, and so the, the issue obviously is it's Pitts didn't run that many routes. You know, the expectation that for a lot of people, including the fantasy folks, is that instead of running 12 routes in a game, he's going to run 30 or 40 routes, uh, in a game. And that's been, uh, created a lot of consternation and frustration among fantasy fans and, and certainly Falcon fans alike. But, you know, I do think Pitts was contributing to this team, especially on that opening drive. Uh, to me, he was creating opportunities for other receivers, even when he wasn't getting the ball, that deep ball, the Demir bird that I think was by and large created by uh, Kyle Pitts pulling away the coverage. He ran a crossing route that pulled both of the deep safeties. The Browns were in cover two down on to cover him on the crossing route. And that, opened up Demir bird wide open one-on-one on the outside on a skinny post. And I just think Mariota kind of missed the throw uh, and bird certainly didn't do a great job tracking the ball uh, in that situation. So, then you had a couple of plays later in the drive on that big third down conversion for Tyler Algier. It was both Pitts and London kind of with vertical routes, some outbreaking routes there, uh, pulling away the coverage and creating that void in the defense in the flat that we saw Algier leaking into and he catching the ball and getting a 20 yard gain uh, to continue that scoring drive for the Falcons. And so again, Pitts is contributing even in situations where he's not being targeted. Uh, but, you know, Again, when you look at the actual targets that he had, he did have one catch for 25 yards early in the game. Uh, then there was one pass that I think was just a miss on Mariota's part. And then there were two broken up by defenders. And based off of that, you could say, okay, well, he was covered, right? And then you could also make the case that, yeah, he was also on the sideline quite a bit because he only played about 60% of the snaps in this game. In the first two weeks, he was playing closer to 90% of the snaps. So there were, that works out to be, you know, if he played 90% of the snaps in this game, it's about a dozen or 
or more snaps that he was not on the field. So, uh, yeah. So I guess that answers your question, uh, budget baller. Our next question comes from Mark Reimers at Mark Reimers five. While you're watching the film, can you please count how many tackles Walker missed? I know he was around the ball a lot, but geez, it has to be a high number of missed tackles. I know PFF had him at three missed tackles. I know of three in coverage alone. I wasn't tracking uh, his missed tackles in run support. So if we assume that at least it was one or two in run support, let's say it was three plus, right? But I, you know, I didn't see your question mark uh, before I watched the film. I only saw it afterwards. So my bad for not counting the missed tackles in run support. But you know, I don't want. I actually don't want to know what that number was. How many times? <laughs> um, Nick Chubb was breaking tackle. So let's, let's not find out. Let's just say three plus uh, AJE sends in an email. He asks, we have talked about the offensive line exceeding expectations, but we haven't heard much on Keith Smith. How has he blocked so far? Also, it's funny that the Falcons are winning because they are fast and physical. The Dan Quinn special. Uh, yeah, Keith Smith, I thought was kind of lackluster. It wasn't really bringing a whole lot to the table the first couple of games, but certainly I think in the Cleveland Browns game, uh, made a big impact, was a big part of why the Falcons running game was as successful. One of the things I've noticed so far this year is the Falcons are getting Parker Hesse a lot of opportunities to be a blocker out of the backfield. I think he's been effective at times in that role, and they've kind of been interchangeable with how they've utilized Hesse and, and Smith. Now, Hesse spends the bulk of his time in line as a tight end, but about 10% of his snaps so far this season, according to PFF, have been in the backfield. And then you look at Keith Smith, who spends the bulk of his reps in the backfield, but has gotten about 30% of his snaps in line. So it's very clear to me that the Falcons are looking for more hybrid H back fullback tight end type of players. Uh, and it'll be interesting to sort of see where Keith Smith's and the rest of his season goes. Is it more like the Browns game or is it more like the sort of lackluster performances? We saw those first couple of games of the season because Keith Smith is 30 years old. He's in a contract year. Uh, and, you know, I think the Falcons could be looking to upgrade that position or maybe asking Parker Hesse to take on more of that mantle possibly next year if we don't see more good games from Keith Smith moving so forward. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how that plays out the rest of the season because you could see certainly the Falcons looking for maybe a bigger, beefier, H-back, tight end type of player to replace Keith Smith next year if uh, he doesn't continue on where he was in this Browns game. But obviously there's still a lot of football left to be played. Connor R's email asks, just curious what you're seeing out of the doc, Arnold Ebiketti. Uh, It seems like there's been a few great plays, but it's also looked like there's plays where he's blowing up his man and disrupting plays that allow other guys to make plays as well. Uh, yeah, I think the Cleveland game again was his best game so far, similar to Keith Smith. He had six pressures, including three hits, according to Pro Football Focus. My charting also put, you know, I, I counted those pressures as hurries uh, and, and three quarterback hits. And as I mentioned, and we discussed kind of briefly on yesterday's episode, the concern was, you know, how were those high quality hits and pressures? And they weren't really right. You know, one was a, a result of coverage on the back end. Uh, so basically a coverage pressure. Uh, one was two actually were due to him being unblocked on the play, including one on the screen pass. Uh, and another one was he was successfully able to kind of chase Brissett once he ex- extended the play outside the pocket and sort of helped chase him down in that. And so I think Ebiketti has been, um, you know, solid, uh, you know, but not great by any means. You know, one of the things I did like seeing in this game is he tried to pull off a spin move. Uh, it wasn't effective. He got stonewalled on the play, but I like the fact that he's trying things. He's, he's, tr- he's working 
things. You know, he's trying different things, spin moves, you know, bull rushes, you know, all these various things. And so my hope is by years in, you'll start to see some of these, um, you know, these technical things that he's working through start to pay off a little bit more. And so while he's not quite impacting to the degree that I would like, you know, I think he's uh, far in a way, hopefully he's not far away from that. And hopefully uh, we'll start to see that more as the season wears on. From the Discord, Marksman Unknown asks, what do we think of Ridley? Are we still going to keep him or move on next year since he's not getting paid this year? Do we still have him for one more year? Yes. Okay. Calvin Ridley's contract did toll uh, due to the suspension, which means that once he is reinstated, presumably next year, he will be under contract uh, for the final year of his rookie contract. And my stance on Ridley has been the same since March. I think there's probably a 99%, if not more, probability that he is played his last down in Atlanta. I think once he's reinstated, uh, if the Falcons can trade him, they will. If they can't, they will cut him at their earliest convenience. Rise up in the discord ask, Hey, Aaron, love the podcast. How have the linebackers and safeties played so far? Have they met your expectations? And Justin 201224 asks, how would you evaluate the safety play specifically Grant and Hawkins so far through the first four games? So I would say both groups have mostly met my expectations, the safeties in particular of being league average starters. Uh, Grant, I thought the past two weeks has played his best ball. Cleveland, uh, he was asked to be more of that sort of movable chess piece lining up in the slot, playing in the box, rather than just basically being parked 15 to 20 yards, you know, downfield as a deep safety. And I think that's kind of the best use for Richie Grant being moved around the formation and showing that versatility. Hawkins has primarily been, you know, more the deep guy the last two games. And I think he's been fine in that role. He's been fine uh, as well when being asked to cover tight ends and whatnot. You know, there's some good, there's some bad. It all balances out to him being okay, solid, decent, whatever word you want to use. That's kind of where I feel uh, where he's been. As for the linebackers, they've also met my expectations, but I did not have high expectations for the linebacker. I thought they would kind of be slightly underwhelming starters, and that's kind of what they've been, in my opinion. There's been a lot of good, a lot of bad. Uh, for Walker and Evans, um, you know, already talked a little bit about Michael Walker and the missed tackles, which has been an issue the last two years. You know, with Evans, the main issue is like I like him when he's being aggressive and shooting gaps and, and playing downhill. But when he's not doing those things successfully, like he's not bringing a whole lot to the table. Now, the one linebacker that I have been impressed with is Troy Anderson. Now, it's not because he's playing like super high level football, uh, but he's off to a better start than I thought he would be, right? He's exceeded my expectations. The big question for me around Troy Anderson coming out of Montana State was the physicality. Did he have the physicality to hold up in the NFL? And that to me has been a non-issue through four games, right? The instincts are still a work in the progress, uh, but, you know, tackling and taking on blocks to me were major issues of him in college, and they have been non-issues so far in the pros. And so hopefully the instincts and the awareness and all that stuff comes with more reps uh, moving forward. So I like where Troy Anderson is at this point in time, and I'm much more, you know, my hopes for him being much more than an underwhelming league average starter. Uh, Long term, uh, you know, I have higher hopes for him. Fallen asks from the Discord, Aaron, what's your evaluation of the rookie class and the new rookies this year, four games in? So Fallen, I will punt this question to later in the season. I just want to get a little bit more data, but I will sit here and say, uh, before we go into the specifics of these guys, but I will say London, Anderson, and Ritter, again, based solely off the preseason, have so far exceeded my expectations. Ebiketti and pretty much the rest have met my expectations. I was hoping for more from Ebiketti at this point in time, but I didn't necessarily have those expectations. But again, I think he's working his way and certainly uh, by years in will 
live up to my hopes and dreams uh, as far as that is concerned. Uh, Sebastian's dad on Twitter or no, on the discord says, how was your visit on McGarry Island been lately, lately? And Mark QJ sent an email. My questions are, what are your thoughts on the offense specifically Kayla McGarry this year? So McGarry Island has been great so far this year. It has absolutely exceeded my expectations uh, so far, which you guys know were not high. And as long as that continues, I'm going to sit here and claim all the credit. I'm going to sit here and say, I told you so. McGarry Island was going to be great, even though I didn't really think that. Uh, but basically, I'm going to roll with the tide on this, pun intended, on this one. Um, you know, if he continues to play at a high level in the coming weeks and months, then I'll sit here and be like, yeah, I told you guys, I'm the smartest man in the world. McGarry Island's a great place. I've been trying to tell you guys you should vac vacation here uh, each and every day for the last, you know, four years, right? But if he tends, if he starts to struggle and, you know, the, there may be an uptick in competition over the next couple of weeks, you got Joe Tryon, you got Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, Joey Bosa a little bit later in the season, you know, and if he starts, you know, the tide tends to the ebb and, and wane and wax and whatever, uh, you know, then I'll be like, well, guys, you, what, what did you expect? I told you guys, like, he wasn't going to be great. Like he was better. And I, my whole point was not that he was good. My point was that like, you know, he was better than people gave him credit for. And he showed that early in the season and blah, 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 blah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be out in front of that, this one, uh, <laughs> In all honesty, I, I will roll with the tide on this one. You know, I do not want to be washed away uh, with the surf on that one by dying on the on the Caleb McGarry Island uh, hill, so to speak. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, him being on his path to earning a second contract. And I think that's fair to say that he's on the path. You know, again, we got we got a ways to go. We got a lot of competition, <laughs> a premium competition. And. When it comes to paying these offensive tackles, these right tackles, you know, you know, if we're talking like seven million a year or whatever, okay, that's one thing. Then you can kind of be this one dimensional player, this, you know, outstanding run blocker and a decent pass protector uh, at seven million a year. But, you know, when you're talking like 10, 12 million a year, which is, you know, what the premium right tackles are, are being uh, asked to be paid. And if he continues on this path, maybe he's in that market. You know, I, I need my guy to be a little bit more than just a kind of one dimensional run blocker. And you need to be able to go up against the Nick Boses and the Joey Boses and potentially the TJ Watts and JJ Watts later in the season. Uh, you know, the Odafe Oways and all those guys. Uh, and show me that you're a little bit more one than one dimensional and be a little bit more two dimensional. So we'll see again, we're, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, mainly Caleb McGarry has been great so far. As long as things are going well, it's been great. But you know, the minute it starts to go, uh, the tide turns and I'm, you know, I don't know, let's pump the brakes. On that. So <laughs> I'm just going to ride the wave on that one, pun intended. Uh, but that's it guys really appreciate uh, you guys submitting your questions, you can do so via Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, via Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. Send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. You leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel or hit me up on the Lockdown Falcons Discord link in the description below uh, if you want to join that. And guys, we thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Guys, really appreciate it. But always... For that second listen, check out Locked On Sports Atlanta now, especially on Roku and Amazon Fire TV, Locked On Braves, Locked On Hawks, Locked On Bulldogs, so much more, as well as check out Peacock and Williamson breaking down all 32 teams, giving you that expert analysis from Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson, free and available on all the same podcast platforms that you're checking out Locked On Falcons, including YouTube. So, guys, that's going to do it for us here. Really appreciate it. Of course, tomorrow is crossover Thursday where locked on bucks 
uh, co-host David Harrison will be joining me to preview this upcoming matchup. And I'm already going to spoil to you guys what to me is going to be the most compelling matchups. I feel like it's going to be Drew Dolman versus Vita Veo and AJ Terrell versus Mike Evans. Those are the matchups I'm going to be focused on. We'll see if we can come up with some other matchups that should be focused on, but I'm sure you guys will also be focused on those. So spoiler alert, that's what we're going to talk about on tomorrow's episode. I, at least I know I'm going to talk about them. Uh, so we'll see what else David, David brings to the table uh, for a crossover Thursday on tomorrow's episode. But guys, really appreciate it. Till then.